Hello, you're listening to the Science of Everything podcast, episode 44, Cell Division, and I'm your host, James Fodor. So in this episode, we're going to talk about cell division. In particular, we're going to talk about the cell cycle and the different phases in that, including interphase, synthesis, and mitosis. We'll go through all the different phases of mitosis, prophase, prometaphase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. We'll look at cytokinesis, and then we'll talk about some of the mechanisms of by which cells regulate the cell cycle including uh, cyclin-dependent kinases, the cell checkpoints, and also the role of growth factors. Uh, Recommended pre-listening for this episode include episode 10, The Cell, episode 18, Biochemistry Basics, and recommended is also episodes 34 and 35 about DNA structure and function, although that's not as crucial, but it would be useful if you had that background. Let's get on to the episode. First of all, uh, just a short word on the structure of chromosomes. Again, this is where the previous knowledge about DNA structure and function would come in handy, because you'll understand more of the terms I'm using, but not essential. So, chromosomes are composed of of chromatin, which is a complex of DNA, about 60% and about 40% protein. So, it's DNA and protein sort of uh, combined together. Each chromosome is a single continuous double strand of DNA, usually around like 150 million base pairs long, although it differs a lot between the different chromosomes in humans. But we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of base pairs, so it's pretty long. It's double-stranded, so, you know, the DNA is uh, the double helix with um, the two strands bonded to each other, so there are two actual individual strands of DNA on the chromosome. But when people normally think about chromosomes, they think of these sort of roughly X-shaped structures. That's often what is displayed with the caption of chromosomes in books and websites and so on. Those are chromosomes, but those pictures are a bit misleading because chromosomes only look like that just prior to uh, mitosis or when the chromosomes have condensed and also the DNA molecules have already been replicated during the synthesis phase. And We'll talk about this in more detail, but the, the point that I want to make is chromosomes don't usually look like that. Usually they're just basically one single long strand, so more like the letter I rather than the letter X because usually there's only one copy of the DNA in the nucleus, not two copies, uh, which is the case in uh, when they're in that X form. And usually the chromosomes are not condensed like that. Usually they're much more dispersed throughout the nucleus. So, yeah, when you think chromosomes, don't think those X structures think more amorphous, big long strands of chromatin that it's all tangled up inside the nucleus. The other thing people usually think about when they think of DNA is the actual the double helix structure, which is DNA. But that's only what DNA, DNA looks like at the sort of uh, very smallest level. DNA in, that's contained in the nucleus is highly structured and bound in various uh, forms. So at the most basic level, those DNA uh, double helix strands are wound around circular proteins called histones, which are in turn sort of bunched up together. So the histones and the, and the DNA that winds around them are bunched up into much thicker fibers that are called solenoids or chromatin fibers. And these fibers in turn are uh, bunched up and wound around in sort of wavy structures and um, have more proteins attaching to them for structure as well that are pushed together inside the nucleus and uh, form the chromosome. So normally when, you know, during like the G1 phase, and again we'll talk about this in a moment, but, you know, during phases of the cell cycle other than mitosis and immediately prior to mitosis, the DNA is not com- is not found in very tightly formed chromosomes. It's The DNA is still wound around the histones and uh, bunched together into chromatin fibers and so on. So it, it's still compact, but it's not as compact as it is just prior to mitosis when it all uh, really clumps together into those X structures. Just to um, summarize what I've said in this first part, the chromosome is the single long molecule of DNA and the proteins that bind to it. It is not essential that it be in that X-shaped structure that most people think about. Okay, on to the cell cycle. The cell cycle consists of five phases. But really, 
it's divided up into three sort of main groups of phases, and then those are sort of subdivided. So the way I'm going to divide it up is between interphase, mitosis, and cytokinesis. So interphase is the main period of the life of the cell, when the cell is just doing its thing and not dividing. Mitosis is the period when the sister chromatids are separated into the two separate nucleuses. So basically you go from one nucleus to two nucleuses, each with its own copy of the DNA and the chromosomes. Cytokinesis is the period of actual cell division, where basically the cytoplasm is snipped in half, one nucleus inside each uh, of the now daughter cells. So cytokinesis comes just after mitosis. It's the period where the cells actually divide. Mitosis is just when all of the preparations to division take place, especially the, the separating of the uh, of the cystic chromatids. Now cytokine cytokinesis basically just sits on its own. It's just cytokinesis, the cell, um, the, the uh, mother cell splits up into two daughter cells, and that's it. But interphase and Mitosis are themselves divided up in subphases. Interphase is divided up between G1, S, and G2 phases. We'll talk about those more in a moment. Mitosis is divided up into five subphases called prophase, prometaphase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. And we'll go through each of those in order later on. But just to keep in mind that mitosis has its own subsections. Most of what we're going to be talking about in this episode are the phases of mitosis, but the cell cycle itself includes the uh, phases other than mitosis, uh, that is interphase and cytokinesis. Now, the time taken for a complete cell cycle varies a lot between different organisms, and also different cells within the organisms and the, the time in the lifespan of the organism and many other factors. So one of the shortest ones is fruit fly embryos, which take a a minimum of eight minutes for the complete cell cycle. That's not just mitosis, that's the whole thing. Human liver cells, on the other hand, take an entire year to go through the cell cycle. Many cells you can think about as dividing like once a day or something like that, so an order of days. But as you've seen, from eight minutes to a year, it varies a very large amount. Now, the actual phase of mitosis itself only takes maybe an hour in many human cells. The rest of the time is taken up by interphase, which can vary um, greatly in length. Now, interphase, remember I've said, is divided up into the subsections of G1, S, and G2 phases. But there's also another one, which is sort of like an optional phase, called the G0 phase. This is essentially a static phase. So, so G essentially stands for growth, the growth phase. And there's G1 and G2 phases. They're not really that different, except for the fact that they're separated by the S phase, synthesis phase, which is when the DNA replicates. But there's another one called G0, which the cell can potentially enter where it's the static phase, the cell is not growing. Some, size, some cells, like muscle and nerve cells, remain there permanently. So particularly um, neurons are often in the G0 phase, which is why people, which is why there has been a belief that you know neurons don't divide, you can't grow new neurons. This is now known not to be strictly true. There is examples of neurogenesis even in adult human brains, but it's still you know sort of the exception rather than the rule. So for the most part, neurons and certain other cells in the, in humans are permanently in the G0 phase, which means that you know they, they make proteins and express genes and so on, but they're not growing and they're not synthesizing new. They're not replicating their genomes and they're not uh, they're not dividing. Most cells spend about ninety percent of their life or their time in interphase which is the G1, S, and G2 phases. So I'm now going to talk about each of those phases in turn. So the, the G1 and the G2 are gap phases, or growth phases, meaning that the cell continues to grow, it synthesizes proteins, but nothing much happens in terms of cell division. The key difference, by the way, between G0 and G1 and G2 is that in G1 and G2, the cell continues to grow, so that you know it incorporates new material, it may replicate new um, new organelles. Its cytoplasm physically increases in size, that sort of thing. That doesn't happen in G0, but in all of those G phases, protein synthesis and gene expression will still occur because, you know, the cell has to do its thing. It has to, you know, function in some sense, and protein synthesis and activation is the way that cells function. 
Okay, so in between G1 and G2 is the S phase, or the synthesis phase. Now, this is called the synthesis phase because it's the time during which the cell DNA is replicated. So, during G1 phase, which precedes the S phase, the cell only has a single copy of its genome. All of the chromosomes, they're still double-stranded, of course, but that doesn't, the two strands don't count as different copies, they're just sort of the, the positive and negative versions, if you like, of the, or the sense and the antisense versions of that chromosome and the genes on the chromosome. But during the synthesis phase, the DNA is replicated, so there are now two distinct copies. These two copies of the DNA are called sister chromatids. Sister, because, well, you know, they're identical, essentially. And they are also connected to each other by a sort of central bulge or constriction, which is called the centromere. So this is the X structure that they're talking about. The middle of the X structure has a sort of a bulge. That's the centromere. That's where a bunch of proteins are connecting the two sister chromatids. Now, I've did a fair bit of reading and research on this, and it seems to be that the word chromosome is actually used somewhat inconsistently. It refers both to the individual strands of DNA plus proteins, and also to the entire complex, so both sister chromatids plus centromere. So, that is, when you say chromosome, you could, it could be referring to either one of the arms of the X structure, or both of the arms of the X structure plus centromere. The way I'll refer to it to avoid um, ambiguity from now on is the chromosome will refer to the entire X structure, and a chromatid will be one side of that. So there are two chromatids or sister chromatids in the chromosome connected at the centromere, and each sister chromatid has an identical copy of the DNA of its uh, alternate sister chromatid. During the S phase, the DNA from each chromosome is replicated, thereby forming this uh, chromosome structure with sister chromatids in it. Before that, there's only one copy of each chromosome. Afterwards, there are two connected at the centromere. So again, the key thing that happens during the S, or synthesis phase, is that the DNA is replicated. Before that, during the G1 phase, there's only one copy of the DNA. Afterwards, during the G2 phase, there are two copies of the DNA connected together at the centromere. However, although the two sister chromatids will be connected at the centromere during the G2 phase, they are still not coiled up into those famous X structures until right before mitosis begins. So before we get into the details of mitosis, there's one final concept that we need to talk about, which is uh, very important, and this, and this is a structure within the cell which is called the mitotic spindle, or sometimes the spindle apparatus. So the spindle apparatus is a complex of proteins that physically pulls apart the two sister chromatids during mitosis. How it does that, we'll get into more detail later on, but for the moment we just need to understand what it is and the various components that make up the spindle apparatus. So there are three main elements to the spindle apparatus. The spindle microtubules, the proteins that are associated with the microtubules and help with the attachments and so on, we won't really talk about those too much, and the third element, the centrosomes. So let's look at each of those in turn. Microtubules are a key component of the cytoskeleton which you would remember from our episode about uh, the different structures within a cell. Microtubules are basically comprised of hollow cylindrical polymers of tubulin monomers. So that tubulin is just a protein. Um, combine monomers of that together, you get polymers, which form hollow cylinders. You sort of put a bunch of those together, and they form microtubules. They're just big, long structures that basically form the, the skeletal backbone of the cell. You can sort of think of them as the... Uh, the underlying structural framework upon which the cytoplasm and the rest of the cellular organelles are, are laid. 
So the the uh, microtubules form the cytoskeleton, which which keeps the cell together. But they also form another important task in mitosis, which is that they form the basically think of them sort of ropes that attach to the sister chromatids and also the centrosomes and physically pull apart the uh, the sister chromatids, in, thereby splitting the X chromosomes into two. So that's what the microtubules are. The centrosomes are organelles that basically serve as the main organizing center of the microtubules. Many of the microtubules that play a role in mitosis are connected to the centrosome. So you can think of the microtubules as sort of like spidery legs that uh, extend outwards from the center, which is the centrosome. Each centrosome, there, there are two in a cell undergoing mitosis, is comprised of a bunch of proteins, as always, that sort of play structural and other functional roles. But crucially, uh, two cylinder sta- two cylinder-shaped collections of microtubules called centrioles. These help stabilize and organize the microtubules. We won't go too much into the detailed structure of these centrioles or um, how they are compri- how they comprise the centrosome because it's not really that important. But basically, just imagine a bunch of microtubules arrayed in a sort of a cylindrical pattern. So remember, the microtubule itself is a hollow cylinder, so basically put those cylinders in another cylinder, and that uh, cylinder of cylinders is basically a centriole. You get two of those, which are sort of oriented in a certain relation to each other, and some other proteins, and that complex forms the centrosome, and there are two of those, basically one on either side of all of the chromosomes, and we'll get into that in more detail later, but we just need to know what a, what a centrosome is. So during interphase especially during the S and, importantly, the G2 phases, the initial two centrioles that form the the original centrosome move apart and then duplicate. So, remember, there are two centrioles that are sort of oriented at 90 degrees to each other. So, if you can think about it, one sort of lying down and one standing up in a sort of a simplistic sense. These two move apart during the um, G2 phase, and each of them replicates. So now instead of two centrioles forming one centrosome, there's now four centrioles forming two centrosomes. And these two separate centrosomes then move apart as well, and they form a crucial part of the spindle apparatus, which, uh, as we know, pulls the cystic chromatids apart during mitosis. The mitotic spindle or spindle apparatus as a whole is sort of roughly ellipsoidal in shape. It's got two poles. These are called the mitotic poles. One centrosome is at each of the poles. And remember, the centrosomes are the main organizing centers for the microtubules. So the mitotic spindle as a whole is basically comprised of an ellipsoid shape with one centrosome at each end and a bunch of microtubules protruding inwards and some outwards, but mostly inwards uh, from the centrosomes. So you could sort of think of it as if you've got the centrosomes on either side and they're sort of reaching inwards with their microtubule arms towards each other. We'll go into some more details about the structure and function of that as we go through the stages of mitosis. But that's basically what the mitotic spindle is. To summarize again, it's centrosomes with microtubule arms protruding in towards each other and various associated proteins. Okay, so that's enough preliminary information about chromosomes and the different phases of the cell cycle and the mitotic spindle. Now let's get into the meat of the matter and talk about mitosis itself. So remember, mitosis only occurs after the interphase, after G1 phase, after synthesis when the DNA is replicated, and after G2 phase when the centrosomes are replicated and when the cell has grown sufficiently in order for it to be ready for um, cell division proper. After the interphase is completed, G1, S, and G2, we move into what's called M phase. M phase is just mitosis plus cytokinesis. So we're now going to talk about M phase, starting with mitosis, which is the main part where the cell, where the uh, chromosomes are pulled apart. And, and cytokinesis, remember, is when the cell physically divides. 
So, mitosis, as we said before, is comprised of five subphases. Prophase, prometaphase, metaphase, anaphase, and telophase. And these are, can be a little bit hard to remember, but I'll, I'll try and make it a little bit easier by sort of basically translating from, I think Greek is where these names come from. Prophase basically means the before phase. So that's useful because it happens first, and so it happens sort of before all the other phases. Prometaphase comes after prophase, and it basically means before the after phase. And metaphase means the after phase. So you basically got the before phase, the after phase, and between them, the before the after phase. Prometaphase is sometimes just sort of subsumed under metaphase, which is why it's got sort of a weird name. So the first three phases, again, prophase, prometaphase, metaphase, before phase, before the after phase, and the after phase. Then the final two phases, anaphase and telophase. Anaphase means the again phase, and telophase means the end phase. So telophase is pretty easy to remember, end phase. Anaphase, again phase, is a little bit weird, but it happens near the end, so it's sort of like a repetition of things that have gone before. I mean, it isn't really, but that's sort of how you can remember the name. Anyway, so beginning with the prophase. Prophase begins when the chromosomes first become visible under a light microscope as they have now condensed enough to be seen, forming the classical X-shaped pattern that, that we're used to. Now, remember before I said that when people normally talk about chromosomes, they're thinking of those X-shaped chromosome patterns. Each of those X-shaped chromosomes is actually comprised of two sister chromatids and has two distinct copies of the DNA. Normally, during most of the phases of the cell cycle, the chromosomes are only a single strand of DNA plus proteins, and they don't form that X structure, and also they're usually not visible in such a condensed form, because normally they're much more dispersed throughout the nucleus. But um, just before, during, you know, during the final phases of G2, leading up to the beginning of mitosis, the chromosomes begin to condense. They've already been repl replicated, so they're already two sister chromatids joined by a centromere, but now they're beginning to condense. Once we can see these X-shaped structures under the light microscope, then we say that prophase has begun. At the same time, remember we've got our two centrosomes comprised of the, the centriole pairs. These have already been replicated during the G2 phase. At the beginning of prophase, they also separate from each other and move to opposite ends of the cell, and this is crucial for later on. Once the two centrosomes have moved to opposite ends of the cell, they begin to form the mitotic spindle, or the spindle apparatus. Basically, remember the spindle apparatus is centrosomes, we've already got those, plus the microtubules that are extending inwards. Uh, one from each centrosome, or one, um, sec one segment of the microtubules coming from each centrosome. There are many microtubules from each centrosome. These begin to grow and extend by polymerization of, of the protein monomers um, during prophase. So that's another important thing that happens during prophase. As the spindle apparatus is forming, the nuclear envelope breaks down. So the nuclear envelope is just the membrane that surrounds the nucleus during uh, interphase, but during prophase it breaks down, and this sort of allows the microtubules to extend right from the right from the centrosomes to actually reach the chromosomes, because if the nuclear membrane was there, that'd sort of be a barrier preventing the microtubules from accessing the chromosomes, which is crucial. So the nuclear membrane has to break down in order for the, the microtubules to gain access. So to summarize, key things that happen during prophase, chromosomes become visible because they've condensed down, centrosomes move to opposite ends of the cell and begin to extend their microtubules into the center, and the nuclear membrane breaks down, allowing the microtubules to gain access to the chromosomes. Now, moving on to the next phase, prometaphase. Prometaphase begins just when the nuclear membrane finishes breaking apart. And by the way, this is, uh, this is catalyzed by uh, various enzymes that help to break down the, the lipid membrane, but the details of that aren't really important. We're just trying to get a, an overview of what's happening here. During prometaphase, th this is basically the subphase of mitosis when the spindle apparatus really sets itself up properly. Now, remember I said that the spindle apparatus is composed of the centrosomes plus associated proteins plus 
the microtubules. Well, there are actually three different types of microtubules. I mean, they're not really different. They're the same stuff, but they're used for different things, and they form different components of the spindle apparatus. So it's important to um, distinguish these. The first type are what are called the connector core microtubules. These are the microtubules that are that extend from the centrosome inwards towards the chromosome and actually physically attach to a uh, sort of a protein complex uh, located at the centrosome, so at the centromere. So remember, the centromere is the sort of bulge in the X in the X-shaped chromosome where the two sister chromatids are connected. At the centromere, there's a each sister chromatid has a protein complex a protein complex called the connector core, and the connector core microtubules extend from the centrosome to each sister chromatid's connector core and, and connect to it, bind to it. These connector core microtubules, extending again from the centrosome to the connector core of each sister chromatid, are crucial for actually physically pulling apart the sister chromatids. Connector core microtubules, that's one type of microtubules that comprise the spindle apparatus. The second type are called the overlap microtubules, and they are so called because they extend from each of the centrum, the centrosomes inwards towards the chromosomes, but they, but unlike the connector core microtubules, they do not actually touch the chromosomes, but rather they sort of move past the chromosomes and actually extend and interdigiate with the overlap microtubules from the other centrosome. So interdigiate basically just means if you hold your hands out from out in front of you, palm towards you, and fingers uh, fingers separated, and move your hands in towards each other. Your your fingers push in between the the gaps between the fingers of your opposing hand, and that's called basically you're interdigiating your fingers. That's exactly what happens with the overlap microtubules. From except instead of obviously emerging from the hands, they emerge from the microtubules emerge from the centrosomes, one located on either side of the cell. Some bonds are, are formed between the microtubules that are overlapping. So that would be like bonds forming between your fingers, and that helps to stabilize the spindle apparatus. The third type of microtubules extend outwards from the centrosome, but instead of extending towards the chromosomes, they actually extend in the opposite direction, sort of out towards the cell membrane. They're not crucial for mitosis, but they do help to stabilize the mitotic spindle. And so I just thought I'd mention them. These are the astral microtubules, because they're pointing away from, from the main structure. This uh, intricate network of microtubules, where we've got the connector core microtubules connecting to the chromosomes themselves, the overlap microtubules overlapping with each other and interdigiating, and then the astral microtubules pointing away, helping to stabilize the whole thing, that complex structure really takes shape during prometaphase. And particularly, we uh, define prometaphase as the period when the connector core microtubules actually make contact with and, and bind to the connector core regions on the centromere of each of the chromosomes. Any failure of connection of these connector core microtubules is catastrophic, basically, because it will lead to mistakes in cell division. If only one of the centrosomes successfully connects to a given chromosome, then that means that, and and the other centrosome doesn't, then that means that the the that given chromosome is only going to be pulled in one direction, say to the right, not in the left. U- usually, the idea is that each chromosome is is uh, pulled in both directions, both left and right, by the centrosomes on the corresponding sides of the cell. Being pulled in both directions allows the sister chromatids to be pulled apart, and therefore each side of the, the mother cell gets uh, one of the sister chromatids, and therefore one copy of the DNA. But if one of the connections fails, and, say, a given chromosome is only connected to the right-hand centrosome but not the left-hand one, then all of the force comes to pulling that given chromatid to the right. The right-hand uh, daughter cell will get two copies of that chromosome, and the left-hand one will get none. And so that can be very problematic and lead to uh, various diseases or uh, syndromes which can happen when people get multiple copies of a given chromosome or no copies of a given chromosome, often that can lead to very serious complications. So, that's what happens in prometaphase. Now moving on to metaphase, or again, the afterphase. 
Metaphase begins as the chromosomes align at the center of the cell in a semicircular relationship. This alignment, basically in the middle of the cell, is due to the counterbalance of, fo- of pulling forces generated by the centrosomes on either side of the cell. Remember, the centrosomes are still sort of moving apart from each other. They've got their connected core microtubules, which are connected to all of the chromosomes, and therefore each of the centrosomes is pulling, is trying to pull all of the chromosomes towards itself. So there's sort of a tug of war going on between the two centrosomes, trying to pull to the left and pull to the right. As this happens, the balance of forces between these the, the, the two centrosomes should basically align all of the chromosomes at the center of the cell. So they've all been condensed, that's happened at the start of prophase, but now they're all lining up at the center of the cell. So if you sort of looked at the cell top down, in a sense, like if it was on a petri dish or something, you'd basically see on the left, there's a centrosome. It's extending microtubules inwards, which connect to the chromosomes, which are now aligned at the middle of the cell, and then to the right, we've also got our connected cores coming from the right-hand centrosome, which is on the right side of the cell. This is this phase is crucial when because the cell will not proceed to anaphase until all of the chromosomes are properly aligned at the center of the cell and until all of the connected core microtubules are properly connected to their corresponding connected core so that every chromosome is properly attached to both the left and the right centrosomes. It's not fully understood exactly how the cell knows that this has occurred, but it's thought that unattached or improperly connected connected cores um, or improperly located chromosomes may generate some kind of signal that prevents the premature progression to anaphase, even if most of the connected cores have been attached and most of the chromosomes are aligned. Still not good enough. All of them have to be properly aligned. And again, that's crucial because if each daughter cell needs a full copy of the genome and therefore they need a, a copy of every one of the chromosomes and two copies can cause problems and no copies can also cause problems. So it needs to be, they all need to be properly connected. Exactly the nature of these signaling molecules is, as far as I'm aware, not fully understood. We now enter anaphase, or the again phase, when we've got the chromosomes all aligned, sort of in a semicircular pattern at the center of the cell, and all properly connected to each of the two centrosomes on the left and the right via the connected core microtubules. Anaphase, in a sense, represents the climax of mitosis because this is when the two sister chromatids are physically pulled apart. They're actually separated during anaphase. Everything that we've gone through so far, prophase, prometaphase, and metaphase, have all been leading up to this point when we can actually separate the sister chromatids. So this separation happens as the centrosomes continue to move apart from each other, as the cell sort of elongates and the centrosomes move towards the opposite ends of the cell, and the connected core microtubules pull being connected to each of the um, the centrosomes, pull on the chromosomes from each direction. So there are several mechanisms that contribute to the sister chromatids being physically separated. First of all, the connected core microtubules shorten as a result of depolymerization. So basically special proteins um, go about depoly- depolymerizing or ripping out monomers from the connected core proteins, thereby shortening, shortening them, thereby ex- essentially exerting a force that is uh, pulling the chromosome in, in each of the directions. Towards the um, towards the two poles, towards the centrosomes. The second mechanism is that the overlap microtubules lengthen by polymerization. So just as the connected core microtubules are being depolymerized and shortening, the overlap microtubules are being lengthened by polymerization, and that continues to push the poles apart. Remember, the um, overlap microtubules are the ones that are interdigiating and sort of connecting to each other in the middle. If these lengthen, that essentially is going to push apart the two centrosomes. Now that wouldn't necessarily lead to anything interesting if the connected core microtubules also lengthen, because basically, if you think about it, if the distance between the, the two centrosomes increased, but the length of the connected core microtubules also increased, then the situation would just be the same, except with the size of the cell basically being increased. However, this is not what happens. What happens is 
the overlap microtubules lengthen by polymerization, the centrosomes continue to move apart, and the connected core microtubules shorten. So a combination of these processes leads to the sister chromatids being pulled apart by uh, forces acting in both directions. The third mechanism is that the astromicrotubules are pulled by motor proteins attached to the cell membrane, thereby pulling the two spindle poles apart, or two, the two centrosome, centrosomes apart. So basically we can summarize anaphase by saying that Anaphase is the subphase of the, of mitosis during which the cystic chromatids of the chromosomes, now aligned at the center of the cell, are physically separated from each other. This occurs as a result of the two centrosomes moving further apart from each other, and as a result of the connected core microtubules connecting the centrosomes to the, to the two cystic chromatids, shortening. The connected core microtubules shorten because of depolymerization, and the centrosomes continue to move apart from each other because of two factors, the astral microtubules pulling, uh, because they're connected to the cell membrane, so the astral microtubules pull sort of from the outside, and from the inside, the overlap microtubules lengthen by polymerization, thereby sort of pushing the centrosomes apart. So centrosomes are both pushed by the overlap microtubules and pulled by the astral microtubules. As a result of both of those factors, the centrosomes move further apart, thereby pulling on the connected core microtubules, which in turn pull on the two sister chromatids. And this pulling force is sort of magnified by the fact that the connected core microtubules are also shortening, so therefore increasing the pulling force. And eventually that pulling force is sufficient to physically separate the two sister chromatids, thereby sort of ripping them apart at the centromere, where, remember, they were previously attached to each other. After the climax of anaphase, we've just got telophase, or the end phase, to, to finish off. This final phase is marked by the reappearance of the nuclear membrane, now around each of the two daughter nuclei. So remember, once the sister chromatids have been pulled apart, we've got two sort of distinct groups of chromosomes. The chromosomes now are no longer in that X format because they've been ripped apart, so they sort of look like eyes, or sort of a little bit bent eyes, because you can imagine, if you can imagine cutting an X in half down the middle, that's sort of what the two uh, sister chromatids look like after they've been separated during anaphase. These two groups of sister chromatids will have nuclear membranes formed around them again, that these are called the daughter nuclei, uh, during telophase. And shortly after that, the chromosomes will disappear as they decondense. So before mitosis, what happens is that the chromosomes are first replicated, and then they condense, and so we can see them, and then they align at the center of the cell. Then we sort of have a a reversal of those processes. First, during anaphase, the chromosomes are pulled apart as the cystic chromatids are separated. Then we get the reformation of the nuclear membrane around that, around each of the two uh, groups of of daughter nuclei. And then the uh, daughter nuclei decondense and therefore uh, return to their more amorphous state. So that leaves us that leads us on to the final section of M phase, which is cytokinesis. So telophase ends basically as the nuclear membrane is appearing around the two sets of daughter nuclei and as the chromosomes are decondensing. But around the same time, cytokinesis actually begins. So cytokinesis and telophase basically occur more or less at the same time, or they overlap, but they are distinct processes, and so we sort of separate them out. Cytokinesis is basically just the physical separation of the cell into two. The cytoplasm is basically, I mean, it's literally snipped into two, essentially, so that now each of the two daughter cells has a set of, a full set of genetic material. Mitosis is taking care of that. And the other organelles will also be distributed, basically, between the two daughter nuclei. Each daughter nuclei will also have one centrosome as well, because remember, there was one of those at each opposite side of the cell, and uh, once the cell divides, um, each of the daughter cells will pick up one of those centrosomes. Basically, the manner in which cytokinesis occurs is that a band of actin filaments, which is just a type of uh, microtubule, basically, 
uh, forms around the center of the original cell and slowly constricts. So it sort of forms a what's called a cleavage burrow that gradually deepens and deepens, thus cleaving the cell into two until finally uh, the, the two sides split apart and the organelles are distributed haphazardly, as I said before, between the two daughter cells. As long as each daughter cell contains at least one copy of all of the different organelles, then it's not really a problem because they can be replicated as needed. So as long as each of the daughter cells has, you know, at least one ribosome and at least one vacuole and stuff like that, uh, and at least one mitochondrion, you know, they'll be fine because they can be replicated as needed. And once the cell has split in two, the organelles have been distributed and the DNA has decondensed, then cytokinesis is complete, M phase is complete, and basically we enter again either the G1 phase or the G0 phase. Uh, usually the G1 phase would happen at least for a while because the cell needs to, um, in a sense, build up its strength after it's just been formed and it needs to grow a bit and um, generate some energy reserves or build up energy reserves and probably replicate some of its organelles and stuff like that. But once the M phase is finished, the cell will enter G1 phase and then perhaps it will enter G0 phase where it stops growing or it'll move on then after a certain amount of time to S phase where it will synthesize a new lot of uh, a new copy of its DNA uh, preparatory to entering yet another sequence of, of mitosis and cytokinesis. And so sort of the cycle of life continues, if you like. So that's the basics of the process of mitosis and cell division itself. In the final part of the episode, we're just going to spend a bit of time talking about how the cell cycle is regulated and some of the key... So the first of these that we'll talk about are cyclin-dependent kinases, or CDKs. So cyclin-dependent kinases are just kinases that are dependent on cyclin in order to operate. So what does any of that mean? A kinase is a type of enzyme that operates by transferring phosphate groups from high-energy donor molecules, like, for example, ATP, which is basically the main energy source of cells, to other molecules or substrate molecules in a process called as phosphorylation. Why any of that's important is because basically by transferring phosphate groups from high-energy molecules to relatively lower-energy protein molecules or other molecules, kinases activate those protein molecules. And basically, it changed their conformation in such a way that they do something interesting that, were, that, that performs some sort of necessary function for the, for the cell. So kinases are an important type of protein that basically help in activating other proteins, and so stuff happens. Cyclin-dependent kinases are a particular family of kinases that were first discovered because of their role in regulating the cell cycle. I don't think that's the only thing they do, but that's sort of the main thing we're interested in. CDKs are relatively small proteins, but the crucial thing about them is that they must be bound to an additional regulatory protein called cyclin in order to be activated. So basically, kinases are proteins that activate other proteins, but cyclin-dependent kinases, in order to fulfill their function of activating other proteins, in turn need to be activated themselves. So it's like activation by cyclin, then activation by kinase, and then the final protein actually does its thing. So it's sort of a two-stage process. Kinase is just another type of uh, small protein. Uh, sorry, uh, cyclin is just another type of small protein. So cyclin activates the cyclin-dependent kinase, which then activates the other proteins. And this uh, cyclin-dependent kinases help to regulate the cell cycle because basically the concentration of cyclin varies across the cell cycle. It basically depends upon how much of it has been created as a result of expression of those particular genes that uh, code for the cyclin and uh, related proteins. Cyclin concentrations of cyclin vary over the course of the cell cycle, thus providing one means of controlling progression from one state to the next because the cyclin-dependent kinases won't be active in large enough quantities until you've got enough cyclin. And if the cyclin-dependent kinases are not active in sufficient quantities, then all of the other proteins that are necessary for, say, forming the microtubules and replicating the DNA and all of those other things, you know, all of that's done by proteins, and those proteins must first be activated by the cyclin-dependent kinases. If the cyclin-dependent kinases are inactivated because there's not enough cyclin, then the whole process doesn't get off the ground. 
So presence or absence of sufficient concentrations of cyclin can be one mechanism by which the cell regulates its progression through the different phases of interphase, um, you know, G1, S, and G2, and also uh, mitosis. There are many other regulatory genes and proteins that are relevant as well. So it's not just cyclin-dependent kinases, but they seem to they seem to play a very important uh, overarching role. The concentration of cyclin over the course of mitosis is sort of cyclical, so it gradually increases up to around anaphase and then decreases dramatically as cyclin is broken down, so thereby returning to early levels and sort of preventing the cell from dividing again. So as cyclin builds, more and more of these proteins are activated and therefore cell cycle commences and continues, but as that occurs, cyclin is broken down and cyclin concentrations decrease and therefore the cell will not be ready to undergo cell division again or enter you know the new and uh, enter mitosis again until cyclin levels have been built up once again so that's sort of how cyclin dependent kinases play a crucial role in regulating the cell cycle and mitosis and you'll hear about them quite a bit because i think only about 10 years ago the nobel prize was awarded for the discovery of these th- of, of these things and they're a very large active area of research in biochemistry and molecular biology at the moment so it's useful to know a bit about them Another mechanism that's used by the cell to regulate uh, the cell cycle are what's called cell checkpoints. And these are pretty much exactly what they sound like. They're checkpoints such that at each of these checkpoints, the cell checks to see if it's met certain prerequisites. And if it has, then only then will it move on to the next stage. If not, it uh, it is stopped and the cell remains in its given stage until those prerequisites are met and therefore it can pass the checkpoint. There's three main checkpoints that we know about, the G1 checkpoint, the G2 checkpoint, and the spindle checkpoint. The G1 checkpoint is the first checkpoint. It's located at the end of the G1 phase, as you might have thought by the name. It makes sure, uh, its role is basically to make sure that the cell is ready before it replicates its uh, genome, because remember, that's what occurs during S phase. The DNA is replicated. The cell will only proceed from G1 to S phase if it has sufficient nutrition and if external cells are promoting growth and division um, in the in the proper way. My understanding is that the full details of exactly how the checkpoints work are still not fully understood. However, it's thought that the checkpoints are maintained by basically a complex network of activation proteins and also signals from other cells. So that is, you know, proteins bind to the cell membrane, which then leads to other proteins activating, which then activates other proteins, and that in turn leads to gene expression and other things like that. This sort of complex interaction of protein networks and, and protein activations and so on, both internal to the cell and external, receiving signals from neighboring cells, is responsible for making sure that the cell will not replicate its genome until it has sufficient nutrition, that is, until the, the um, G1 checkpoint is met. The second checkpoint is called the G2 checkpoint, and it's located, as you might have guessed, at the end of the G2 phase, just before uh, M phase. So, whereas the G1 checkpoint makes sure that the cell is ready to replicate its DNA, the G2 checkpoint makes sure that the cell is ready to actually undergo mitosis. Basically, what the G2 checkpoint does is make sure that the DNA replication was completed successfully. If not, the cell clearly isn't ready to divide because you need two full copies of the genome for that to happen. The final checkpoint that we'll talk about is the spindle checkpoint which occurs during metaphase. So this is like halfway through mitosis. It occurs at the point where all of the chromosomes should have been aligned at, along the central axis of the cell, which is called the mitotic plate, and also be under bipolar tension, which means that the each of the chromosomes should have been attached to by connected core microtubules protruding from each of the two centrosomes. So basically, the spindle checkpoint ensures both that the chromosomes are all in the right position and that each chromosome has been attached is attached to both of the centrosomes. Remember that if this hasn't occurred, then there'll be problems because one of the daughter cells won't get any copies of a given chromosome and the other 
daughter cell will get two copies, and, and that's bad. So the spindle checkpoint is designed to make sure that doesn't happen. So as I said before, these checkpoints operate by a complex interaction of genetic and protein interaction networks, which are still not fully understood. However, they, they incorporate CDKs, but also many other mechanisms as well. So cyclin-dependent kinases are very important to these checkpoints and other uh, mechanisms of regulating the cell cycle, but they're not the only factor. They're just a very important one that's been discovered relatively recently. The final thing that I want to talk about briefly are growth factors, which are substances that stimulate cellular growth and cellular proliferation. They're usually proteins or sometimes steroid hormones. Growth factors typically act as signaling molecules between cells. So basically certain cells will produce and excrete growth factors which will then go and bind onto neighboring cells, telling them to grow or to stop growing or whatever, or generally to grow because they're growth factors, or telling them to divide. In the absence of these growth factors, cells will generally enter the dormant phase or the, C- or the G0 phase where they, not, they stop growing and they don't um, duplicate DNA and they just sort of sit around. So growth factors can be very important for promoting well, the growth and therefore ultimately the cell division. So this is why growth factors are sometimes used as hormones to get animals to grow faster and things like that. Growth factors are also very relevant to cancer research because cancer cells seem to find a way of uh, circumventing this process and continuing to grow even without growth factors. And it will be very interesting to find out how that happens exactly, because then we could uh, be one step closer to finding a way to stop the cancer cells from growing. Because remember, cancer cells are basically just cells that get out of control and keep dividing, even when they shouldn't, essentially. And all of these checkpoints that we talked about, you know, the cyclin-dependent kinases and the cell checkpoints and the growth factors and many other things too, all contribute to prevent this thing, this from happening, to prevent cell division and replication from getting out of control. But it still happens sometimes, and when that does happen, it's called cancer, and that's obviously very bad. So understanding growth factors is, can potentially be very useful for um, finding a cure for cancer or what will probably be more likely finding more cures for different types of cancer because cancer is actually a very large category of related but distinct diseases. So on that note, that's all I have to say in this podcast. You'll notice that I didn't talk about meiosis, which is a sort of a different version of mitosis, which occurs in sex cells. It's very similar in many of the core, in many of the key concepts, but some of the details are different because in meiosis you only you only want one copy of the genetic material as opposed to two copies, and so there's um, various mechanisms uh, that, that occur to ensure that that happens. But I'll uh, exp- I'll go into more detail about that in a future episode where I'll talk about meiosis and sexual reproduction. I think that uh, we've already put more than enough material into this episode, so we'll leave it here for today. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please jump onto iTunes and give the podcast a favorable review. I've got maybe seven or so ratings so far. I'd like a lot more than that because some of the big science podcasts have dozens or even hundreds. Also, if you could tell other people about the podcast, post it on Facebook, send people emails, talk to people in person... Any way you can spread the word is very much appreciated because I like to think that I have a good resource here in this podcast, but I still don't have too many listeners, and so uh, the more you can attract to the podcast, the better. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. My address is fods12 at gmail.com. That's F-O-D-S-1-2, as in the numerals, at gmail.com. You can send me suggestions uh, for future topics or uh, things you would like to see changed about the podcast. Any feedback you might have is appreciated, or even just tell me your story about like how you found the podcast or when you listened to it and stuff like that. I, I like to hear about that as well. Find out who's listening and what you like and what you don't like about the podcast. So, thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>